0: This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by a phenomenal leader. We've got Lisa Rock on the podcast today. Lisa's the founder and the president of National Medical Billing Services. We're going to talk really today specifically about the ASC revenue cycle in today's changing environment. Lisa, can you take a moment before we get started just to quickly introduce yourself?
1: Sure. Thanks for having me, Scott. I really appreciate it. Um, My name is Lisa Rock. I'm the President of National Medical Billing Services, an ASC revenue cycle company, and uh, we are going into our 18th year of existence, hard to believe, and I've been doing this sort of thing um, for going on 40 years.
0: That is a incredible stat. It would have never seen that coming. Actually, let me ask you this question, Lisa. How is the company, you're, you're, you're a revenue cycle company for surgery centers. A lot of surgery centers have been all over the board in terms of their elective surgeries being shut down, being on hold, now ramping back up. How is your company feared through COVID-19?
1: I think we're 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 faring pretty well. Thank you for asking, and uh, I think there are a couple of key reasons why that is. Um, as you know, we manage the revenue cycle for elective surgeries, and they stopped. So we actually lost 80% of our business, and uh, abruptly. And so we were in the same position as everyone else. I think a couple of key differences that I'm happy to point out. Number one, we were well prepared for the unknown. And what I mean by that is um, we put a lot of money and resources into our company's infrastructure, in particular, IT. And so when we had to mobilize an at-home workforce, we were able to do it literally in one day. And that was handing out uh, laptops that we already had, uh, serial numbers. We had a phone system that was already equipped to um, to work through those laptops. We had a hotspot set up for uh, folks that were in rural areas uh, without internet access. So we were ready to go and we were able to mobilize very quickly. So that was that was one. Um, two, we put a lot of focus on um, employee morale. And I think that was key. Uh, We didn't furlough, we didn't lay off, and we did a lot of different things. We had department of the week, we had uh, those departments um, uh, do videos, and we actually posted one of our uh, coders uh, doing a a video. And um, we did all kinds of things. We couldn't spend money to, to improve morale, of course. So you have to get very innovative on um, making sure that you're watching and taking care of your people. We actually um, implemented uh, something called mental health 12 to one, no meetings, no phone calls, nothing from 12 to one, you get a break. And that was everyone in the company. And so we did things like that to, to really help uh, keep morale up. Um, so those are two, those are two big initiatives. The, the third that we did was we got involved with our clients. What do you need? What can we do for you? What can we research? What can we find out? We stayed on top of all of the changes. Uh, We did it from a regulatory affairs perspective, from a financial perspective, from a coding perspective, from a contracting perspective. I mean, every single part of the rev cycle, we were watching like hawks. We had our experts on it. We mobilized, we got in front of it, and we kept our clients in the know during every single phase of this and also the industry we posted everything we found on social media
0: fantastic and so it's so fascinating did you a lot of things that you were prepared for to begin with though never expected this and also a lot of things that helped employees helped your team stayed connected with clients but didn't cost a lot of money because, of course, with your client's business being down, that means your collections and often paid on a piece of that are down as well. So doing a lot of Mm -hmm. things carefully and intelligently, but staying very Mm -hmm. closely connected to your employees and your clients.
1: Mm -hmm. That's correct.
0: Lisa, talk to us for a moment about common misconceptions about ASC revenue cycle management. What are common misconceptions?
1: So uh, that is a great question, and it really doesn't matter where your billing is being performed, whether it's outsourced or you're doing it internally or you have some kind of mixed bag. The number one misconception that I see after doing this nearly 40 years is that it's easy. It's easy and anyone can do it. The fact is that rev cycle management is very sophisticated and every single part of it. And I see that in retractions for coding errors, uh, compliance issues for coding errors, you have financial reports that aren't correct because of payment posting errors. So again, you know that that is that is uh, something that I hear a lot of. Anyone can do this, and it just simply is not true. Um, the second is any software will work, and that is absolutely not true. Either. Um, We see software developed by a friend or a relative or a neighbor, and it's great in a small professional practice, but now you want to open a surgery center and this is what you want to use. I mean, it's just not going to work and uh, not the right way unless you plan on doing 20 or 30 cases a month and not growing. <clears throat> then that's a different story, and I would still argue that you need a good software system to manage your your revenue. Um, and, and I also think that a misconception is uh, reimbursement is cut and dry. Whether you have a contract or you're out of network, it is anything but cut and dry. And a couple of quick examples on that. Um, just because you have a contract and a contracted rate doesn't mean that's what you're going to get. The, the language in the contract could uh, override the rate sheet that you have. You could have specialty networks that are carved out. You could have exceptions to the rule. You could have changes to the reimbursement that follows Medicare. So. It is not cut and dry out of network. I hear a lot of anecdotal, well, we always get $50,000 out of network for this surgical procedure. I run some reports point in fact is you got it one time off of one case and you'll probably have a retraction later on anyway. But the truth is the rest of this is, is on average at or below a network rate. But, but again, if you're looking at your data anecdotally and not, True numbers, then you're going to be misinformed and misled. And how can you make good business decisions and be prepared for the next whatever event happens? Last, I don't know why our centers think that security and good IT is not a big deal. That's another misconception. I can run this multi-million dollar facility without good IT support, and that's just not the case. And and it happens so many times that employees are getting fake emails and then there's a breach on bank access and you know all kinds of other problems. So those are the big misconceptions in in rep cycle management.
0: Thank you very much. A lot of people thinking they can do their own technology, their own software, their own everything, and 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 Uh really you know, having in the long-term big, big problems, with that kind of stuff, also IT security, and also anecdotally short, good results, but then finding in the long-term real problems. I mean, lots of common misconceptions about revenue cycle management. Talk to us about growth in surgery centers. Uh, there's so much movement still towards outpatient. People are expecting another wave of move towards outpatients as patients may be more concerned about going back to big health systems and big hospitals where they have COVID concerns and other risks, right or wrong. There's a lot of those perceptions. What specialties are poised to grow in surgery centers and specifically what types of procedures? Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yes. Um, Before I answer that question directly, let me start with that as these larger cases are moving from the hospital to the surgery center, you have to look at your managed care contracts because many times they're not designed for those larger cases and, or that specialty. And I will tell you that, as I said, rep is very sophisticated, especially in the ASC market, very different from anything else out there. And the carrier's, uh, put a lot of resources in in writing these contracts, and um, and and if you're relying on one person uh, who doesn't have that kind of um, uh, access to data and and lawyers and healthcare experts. I would say that's a gross mismatch. Putting um, uh, a biller or an administrator or even a surgeon up against, you know, one of the major carriers and and, in signing a contract that involves cases that have a value of anywhere from five to twenty twenty-five thousand dollars each. And and so uh, as these cases are migrating, you need to look at your contracts for every single carrier you have and have them reviewed by experts with you so that you are um, you're bringing on and in cases that are actually going to be profitable for it because if they're not profitable then you're not going to survive another you know what we just went through um, and it's not a good scenario for anyone involved not your staff not you not the, facility, not the patient so um, that's number one number two um, once once you have once you've done your homework and you've done your pro forma and you know what's coming on, um, we see big changes in uh, orthopedic in cardiology and in spine. Those are the three main areas that we see migrating from uh, inpatient HOPD to ASC, the ASC environment.
0: So really the biggest growth in surgery centers was the PDX, cardiovascular and spine. mm mm-hmm. And then, particular care as you're moving cases over to make sure that your payer contracts don't make it uneconomical to do so.
1: right. and and um, one of the challenges that we all have today, and again, RevCycle is something that every single surgery center has to manage. So this is important. Uh, we have to fight like like dogs, really, to get carriers to understand. Implant reimbursement is key to moving those bigger uh, ticket items uh, over to the surgery center. So, for example, if a, a contract's written without reimbursement uh, for an implant, let's say the implant's $3,000, and we, I just had this yesterday, so the implant's 3000 the case rate's $3,000, you're, you're going to lose money on the case. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to take the surgery and send it back to the hospital. And I mean, this is a discussion we were having 20 years ago. Why are we still having it today? And cost plus five or 10% doesn't make any sense either because you have to order it, get it, uh, house it, track it, and then pay someone to get paid for it. (laughs) And so cost isn't covering your expenses either. So we really have to push for these carriers For a fair reimbursement not only for the case rate with these higher acuity cases moving over but the associated costs with those whether it's drugs or 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 implants you have to look at the whole thing and you have to fight hard for this because what's the alternative that case goes back to the hospital and they pay double i mean they need to wake up and and we have to provide them with good data if you had bad data from a bad software system or uh, week rev cycle, then then it's going to be a harder uh, case to make.
0: a hundred percent. And talk to us about the future of reimbursement for surgery centers. Give us some thoughts there.
1: I think that um, and 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 again, it's up to the surgeons in what kinds of cases and how many they want to bring. But purely, uh, you know, from where we sit, managing the rev cycle for so many centers across the country, we are seeing volumes increase um, substantially. So, so we have reimbursement going up by volume. But it is a critical time right now to have important conversations with carriers about a fair reimbursement for the procedures that are being performed are going to be performed and you can only do that with good data and people that know what they're talking about and this is so important to the future if we have those conversations right now then i think surgery centers are in a phenomenal place um, to receive not excessive reimbursement but a fair reimbursement for the work that's being performed there
0: And so, it it will be okay, but it's not going to be the old days of great workers' comp or great excess payments throughout a network and those kinds of things, but but it'll be okay.
1: I think it'll be more than okay. I think it will be – I think we'll have nice, healthy margins. I mean, we shouldn't be um, – we shouldn't be cost prohibitive for patients. Patients have – a, a, a tremendous amount of uh, out of pocket these days. And so and so it should be a fair charge and it should be a fair reimbursement. So there's something to be said. Um, even though I side with the, the surgeons, I can't help it. I've worked most of my career uh, working for them, so I would say that there's there's a discussion to be had on both sides. Make sure we have a fair charge master, and the carriers have to understand that we need to have a fair reimbursement. And I think that that surgery centers are, will will do very well.
0: Thank you. And another question for you: you you've had this great entrepreneurial career, you've built a business, you've grown a business. Talk to us for a moment about what tips you would have for entrepreneurs starting out today, or people growing businesses today.
1: When I uh, I love this question by the way, and it's funny. I I um, would I answer that question any differently today than I would have 10 years ago. No, I think that 10 years ago I I I was interviewed I think by by uh, publication and they asked that question and my answer was be prepared for the curveball. Be prepared for um the unknown and my first year in business very first year i landed account surgery centers in florida and we had three hurricanes in a row and closed the centers down my first three and um, i planned for the unknown but not that not one hurricane and then a second and third i thought this how, how could this happen this is impossible and i barely got through that but i learned a lot about Um, being prepared for the unknown. You don't know what or when it's going to hit. It could be an illness, right? It could be your key person uh, illness. Um, It could be mother nature or events beyond your control. Um, So a lot of different things. And so I think for entrepreneurs, understand that this isn't a time to be afraid of starting something new. This is a time to get excited about all of the opportunities available Um, There are voids in some areas right now and and with these changes, um, opportunities are created and should be capitalized on. (laughs) And I mean, I work probably 16 hours a day and I love it. I still love every minute of it. But if I had the opportunity to start something new right now at this moment, I probably would do it because it's an exciting time. I mean, not not because we're in a a recovery mode. I mean, that's exciting that we're on the tail end of this, we all hope, but it's exciting that, you know, there's a lot of gloom and doom out there, but there there are people that see the cup half full, and that's me, and I think as an entrepreneur, you need to see the cup half full, but you also have to be prepared and work for it. You have to, I, I work as hard today as I did 18 years ago, starting this business. And, um, it's not one of those things where I'm going to start my own business and I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to work those long hours anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. Well, you cut back your hours and someone else is going to take your cake. It's as simple as that. So you have to work around the clock and that's how you stay ahead of the curve and you stay in front of the problems and you survive and then thrive. That would be my advice.
0: Oh, fantastic, and I love that advice. Still reason to be optimistic. You have to be open to adaptability, you have to work hard. You know that mm-hmm. others are working hard. You better be working hard yourself. Yep. You've done a remarkable job. You're a remarkable role, role model for so many of us. Just a magnificent leader, Lisa, and I congratulate you on the great success with national medical billing. Uh, and, and we know you've done exactly that. You've survived, and now you're thriving again and have always thrived. So just a magnificent professional and entrepreneurial career. Lisa Rock, President of National Medical Billing Services. Thank you so much for joining the Becker's Health Podcast today. Always a pleasure to visit with you.
1: Thank you so much, Scott.